Welcome, Welcome to the New to Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. This is Pamela Clark, your host for Education in the News. So welcome back, and we're going to get right on into it. Um, The first bit of news I have is from Ohio Ed Updates, and it's state and local education news. And um, this was reported by Toledo CBS 11. It says, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has a message for schools and COVID surge mandate masks. So with some districts adjusting their COVID safety protocols in response to the latest surge of new cases, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has a message for school board leaders across the state. Quote, if you want our kids to be in school, the most important thing we can do is have them vaccinated but also for the schools to mandate masking. Governor Mark DeWine told 3N or 3 News, Moore and Kyle in a one-on-one interview. Okay, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'd like to hear, hear your thoughts. A lot of people are pulling their kids out because of stuff like this. The next report is from the same um, mailing it's a Loudonville students benefit from trees to textbook program. Richland Source reports that Loudonville is among 16 Royal Ohio school districts that they're considering counties and townships that will share $1,579,111 from the harvest of timber from Ohio State Forest through the Trees to Textbooks program, which operates as part of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, or ODNR, Division of Forestry. In the Loudonville-Perrysville School District, the system will receive $2,750.78. Ashton County and Hanover Township will receive $1,375,000 or I'm sorry, uh, $1,375.39. That goes to Ashland and Hanover Township. And then the total for all Ashland County school districts is $5,501.16 in the timber distribution program. And the Cincinnati Inquirer reports the five new Southwest Ohio school facilities to open in the next two years. Several new school buildings went up in Cincinnati area over the course of the pandemic, including two new Winton Woods campuses, a little, a new little Miami elementary school, and four new school buildings in the Southwest local school district. 
What's next? Question. Voters in the Southwest Ohio approved two bond issues this November, or well, last November, I should say, since we're in January, that promises new and updated facilities in the near future. Madeira City School District's plans to expand Madeira Elementary School and Milford Exempted Village School District is in the early stages of planning for a new school year. Seniors um, will get a chance to see and utilize new Indian Creek High School building. Steubenville Fox 9 News reports that the Indian the Indian Creek Local School District is just months from debuting its new high school to students. While construction continues on both the interior and exterior of school, Assistant Superintendent John Belt showed off some of the completed areas inside the facility, and they did not disappoint. The complex will be the home to Indian Creek High School students as well as the Board of Education. The next report that I have comes from ASCD Smart Brief. And it says, Cardona presses preference for in-person learning. Quote, we can do better than the shift to fully virtual learning that that was common during the first year of the coronavirus pandemic amid, amid... Amid the first or the last surge. Let me read that again. I'm sorry. Okay, so we can do better than the shift to fully virtual learning that was common during the first year of the coronavirus pandemic amid the latest surge, says U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. In this interview, Cardona says the virus is more likely to spread in communities and not schools, and that schools, <coughs> excuse me, and that schools now have the tools to help manage infections. The full story can be found at National Public Radio, and it was published January 5th. Therapy animals offer benefits to Arkansas students. Students in some Arkansas schools districts receive emotional support through interactions with therapy animals. Counselor Katie Jenkins says the therapy animals help support education as well as student well-being, noting that students sometimes find it easier to interact with animals than people. I think I shared this story in, in the last, but again, a lot of these news things come in bunch together. So um, forgive if it's a repeat. Okay, and then uh, another article is autism ADHD diagnosis differ from among insured children. A study in JAMA psychiatry showed the difference in diagnosis of neurodevelopmental disorders such as attention deficit hyperactivity activity disorder or autism among U.S. children who were covered under Medicaid compared with those covered by private insurance. By the age of eight years, approximately one in four publicly insured 
and one in nine privately insured children in the United States received a diagnosis of a neurodevelopmental disorder, the researchers wrote. Really? That should make your blood boil. I mean, now think of the medications they're giving some of these. I mean, are these bona fide, you know, diagnosis? Are they just doing this to get money? The full story can be uh, seen on the United Press International and was published on 1-5, January 5th. Okay, school space challenges with COVID-19 testing. There is a greater focus on testing for the coronavirus by schools during the latest virus surge. This article showcases four reasons that testing has become more complicated for schools, including concerns about funding and competition for scarce resources. Hmm, how did I know it was going to round about back to that? You can read the full story in Education Week, and it was dated January 4th. Massachusetts uh, considers adopting universal school meals. State lawmakers in Massachusetts are considering adopting statewide free school meals for all students amid the rise in food insecurity during the coronavirus pandemic. The move follows the adoption of a law last year that offers free meals to students in some qualifying districts in the state. The full story was picked up by the Boston Herald on January 3rd and WWLP. Dash TV in Springfield, Massachusetts on January 4th. My thoughts on this is that school meals um, are very important. I mean, the intake of food and water and all those things help <clears throat> with learning. And um, I know that there's some smaller community schools where private donors will donate the children have their to have their school lunches the entire year and and that's really wonderful i'm not sure you know how it fits into you know the the funding i mean i i would think they could certainly afford to do that and i know that could be a controversial statement but schools make a lot more money than they should in my opinion I'm not saying teachers make what they should because they don't but i'm saying that you know, the government funding that they get should cover school meals. Um, and, of course, that should be a public voting pool as well. I mean, and, and done within each state. So, but it is very important. And, I mean, as a child, there were times that I wouldn't have eaten at all during that day if I didn't have, um, you know, a free meal at school. So I really understand and know what it's like to be hungry and and not get the food that you need. So, um, with that being said, it's very, very important. And I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe even, you know, would donate towards it if it isn't covered within the school. Maybe it's something that people should consider and talk about more, even during the board meetings or like the public board of education when they meet and invite families if if it's not offered in your area it's worth you know bringing up and talking about 
<clears throat> and I know that during the pandemic in this area where we live, there was some of the smaller communities around that still um, provided, you know, the bag lunches if the parents or someone would come pick them up for the kids. So it was, that was really a very nice initiative. Not sure where all that money came from, but I, I do think it's important. What do you think about it? <clears throat> okay, um, what to expect in EdTech in 2022? There's an article that the journal put out on January 5th, and it says that it showcases 13 predictions from teachers and experts about education technology this year. Keith Bockwalt, Chief Information Officer of Hinsdale High School District 86 in Illinois, says he expects more programs that support wellness and Christian Converse, Audio Vision Program Manager in the Technology Office in Ann Arundel County Public Schools in Maryland, says greater focus on classroom sound enhancement is expected. I've heard of a few of those initiatives. I don't have enough of a sound um, opinion on it as of yet. And I, like I said, they're putting out a lot of different ones, but they're not necessarily all good, but they're not necessarily all bad either. So I have heard of this audio video program that they're talking about. I don't really have anything much to say about it as of yet. But um, New Heights offers a lot of really great resources um, of things that they're already that they're trying to do, and we found them by partnering with you know overseas institutions or whatever, um, or educational facilities, whatever you want to call them. So um, we already have a lot in place, and they're still trying to figure out things. But they like to tie in a lot of agenda and political stuff in with what they're doing. And we don't, of course. So with that being said, let's move on to the next story. Um, this one's from Middleweb Smart Brief. And it says, fourth grade students explore art of printmaking. Fourth graders at Michigan School tried their hand at printmaking at the end of a lesson on contour lines. Our teacher, Amy Teft says the craft is flexible enough that success is possible with a range of student skill levels. The full story was reported on in the School News Network in Grand Rapids, Michigan, if you want to look it up and learn about it. And a sixth grade math teacher asked students to solve crimes. Sixth graders in class of math teacher Rachel Janae have been using their problem-solving skills to investigate make-believe crime scenes, hospital, and other environments to engage students who are returning for in-person learning. A teacher in Mississippi, Janae, says that she has shared the lesson plans to inspire other teachers to jump on and jump in with me. The full story was picked up by the DeSoto Times-Tribune in Hernando, Mississippi. Okay, and then uh, here's another one. Principal shares lessons learned on changing school culture. Creating a safe learning environment was the challenge former middle school principal 
Taryn Fletcher faced after taking the reins at a school that was labeled persistently dangerous. That's a quote. The changes made helped quill the behaviors that earned the school that label, but Fletcher writes they created stifling school experience that didn't align with what she wanted for her own children. So she explains how she set out to change that approach. This was reported by the Heckinger Report. Let me get some more information on it here. Okay, so she had asked herself, would I send my kids to the school? And, and she was, I would not. Um, I knew my school had to change, so I changed my approach. In my first year, my successful school turnaround was not without several mistakes and a lot of learning on my part. I did not inherit a school that functioned on its own, and there were times when student voices were not front and center. I share this in transparency, hoping that you are able to reflect on the culture you're creating in your own schools. Ample studies show the challenges that black students face in school and highlight the difficulty educators have ensuring their academic and social success. Complicating these challenges are teachers who desire to control students and systematic beliefs that black people are unintelligent and uneducatable. Fed by stereotypical portrayals of black youth as untrustworthy and wild needing to be tamed. They have been propagated in media, politics, and other popular discourse for generations. Black people are no less impacted by what we repeatedly see and hear than everywhere else or everyone else. We too fall victim to co-signing the same stereotypes against our black communities that we so vehemently fight against. Complicating black student challenges are teachers who desire to control students and systematic beliefs that pe black people are, okay, so it's like they're requoting it. They're listing it twice. For example, no matter how cute and innocent I thought my own kids would be, I knew their presence might threaten others for no reason at all. They might be told even by friends to go back to Africa and what would be meant as a joke they likely be seen as the problem in the school and their physical presence too big, too tall, too out there, and too black might intimidate teachers and make them feel uncomfortable. Their national emotional responses are hard things. To, responses to hard things would likely be scrutinized and labeled at risk, impulsive, or in crisis. I knew from my own experience as a school leader that they would be forced to question their hopes and dreams because of societal norms and low expectations placed upon them, and that they'd see far fewer images of black people holding powerful positions. When we, influ when we are influenced to believe negatives about blackness, its breeds, its mistrust, fear, and envy, even within our own communities, the labels, lies, and misunderstandings about black children attack our own truths. However, something very important also happened during the first year as principal. I learned about the art of culturally relevant pedagog pedagogy. 
um, I know I'm saying it wrong, sorry. Being bicultural, the impact of teacher self-efficiency and social responsibility. Later, I teach others to implement these practices. This had a profound impact on my life and ultimately changed my leadership lens altogether. I now believe we must rethink our responses to the behavior of black and Latin students who must challenge, we must challenge ourselves to develop culturally and socially responsive programming that allows these students to have a voice, express their feelings and question leadership choices that aren't meeting their needs. Okay, and then she goes on um, to talk about schools and what they should be doing. Um, pretty brief. But anyways, what are your thoughts on this article? I mean, I have, and I mean, I have an issue personally with being identified black, white, like in color. And we covered this in our critical race theory um radio show so you should go back and listen to that but it's just not right in my mind um i mean they're american if they're living in america right and they're citizens so they should be called americans and i mean no one's just white or black you're a mixture if you really want to change things educate people on who they really are and their past and and how they are tied to their past and they'll want to make change because they're part of it so that's my opinion love to hear yours but that's just how i feel about it can pull up the next story let me check our time here All right we're going to play a short commercial break and we're going to come right back thanks Hello listeners, if you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store at new-heights-educational-group.myshopify.com. Hello, welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host for this episode, Pamela Clark. And we're going through news stories and I'm sharing updates from around the country and around the world. The next story I have for you is actually from one of our partners, the Classic Learning Test. They have a newsletter they send out and they also have a pod podcast. And um, the podcast is called Anchored. And they recently had a, a woman on there by the name of Nicole, um, sorry, my screen jumped, um, Solace, and she was sued for challenging her daughter's school board. Here's her take on modern education. So you can look this up. I know they're on Verbal and some other channels, but look up Anchored Podcast and um, or go to ClassicLearningTest.com, I believe it is and uh, see if you can access their podcast through there. But on the episode of Anchored with Jeremy and Harubu, they were joined by Nicole, and she's a stay-at-home mom who was sued by the teachers union for requesting public school curriculum records. 
What? For what? For requesting public school curriculum records. Really? The cool highlights of schools are incorporating gender theory and other radically charged topics into curriculum while simultaneously removing parents' input. She discusses the importance of full transparency in school curriculum, why parents should be alarmed about their lack of control over their child's education, and why parents should take the initiative without fearing of being inconvinced. So check that out. Look it up. Listen to the episode. Love to hear your thoughts on it after you listen to it. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And that she was sued for such a thing. It's absurd. But um, let's see. Next news story I have. Okay, this is from Smart Brief on EdTech. It says eight top K-12 trends. Um from 2021 to carry over into 2022. This is from K-12 Dive. I think I might have shared something about this before, but it said learning and enrollment loss, community communication, and funding are three of the eight trends from 2021 that would be front and center for schools and districts this year. Write a group of educational journalists. In this article, they highlight concerns about staff, stability, and digital equity, censorship, and other policy issues that are likely to remain constant throughout the new year. Okay, a lot of repeated stuff again. Florida governor wants tuition refunds for online classes. Florida, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says that, an, that any college or university that moves his classes online should fully refund students' tuition. The governor is opposed to aggressive health precautions despite the state's skyrocketing number of coronavirus cases. This story was covered by Florida Politics on January 3rd, if you want to read about it. Just a moment, I gotta switch again. Okay, um, here locally says ODOT in Defiance County each secured two million dollars in safety funding for um, a new project. One second. My screen is run really slow today, so I apologize. And there's a delay. Okay, which will construct an overpass at US 24 and Independence Road and access changes to nearby intersections. So just FYI, I thought I would share that with you. And Hampshire, this is from, I'm sorry, this is from foundationcenter.org. This is um, Hampshire a College receives $5 million gift from anonymous donor. The unrestricted, unrestricted operating gift will fund the Ken Burns Initiative to transfer higher education 
and advance the ongoing implementation of newer curricular models that organizes undergraduate education around the most urgent challenges of our time. Sorry, again, having issues. Um, The unrestricted operating gift will help fund the, okay, the Ken Burns Initiative to transform higher education and advance ongoing implementation of a new curricular model that organizes undergraduate education around the most urgent challenges of our time instead of the traditional structures of majors and disciplines. A $60 million capital campaign launched in January of 2020 in support of the new model has raised more than $33 million to date. Quote, I'm humbled that such generous philanthropists chose to make the, this extraordinary gift to my alma mater in my honor, says documentary filmmaker Ken Burns, who co-chairs the campaign. I know Hampshire is transformative because I experienced it firsthand. I saw how the originality of practices implemented at the college reverberated through higher education. Fifty years later, our nation needs fresh thinking and higher education, and Hampshire is poised to deliver on that opportunity. Also, Bandias University receives $10 million for civic engagement. The gift will endow that Vic and Bobby Samuels 63 Center for Community Partnerships and Civic Transformation in honor of the late Vic Samuels, who passed away in 2020. The center will bring together students, faculty, staff, practitioners, and researchers in an interdisciplinary environment to address community needs. Initial center projects include the Community Engaged Scholars Program, a student initiative expected to launch in the fall of 2022 that integrates extracurricular experience and academics. The center will also serve as an incubator for current faculty projects, including prison outreach and education, supporting people with disabilities, legal aid clinics, climate change or climate justice, excuse me, domestic violence, and mobilizing women's groups in rural areas overseas. Provide research assistance and teaching opportunities for graduate students, and award stipends to students. So students have equitable access to community service and engagement activities. Okay, and views on freedom of speech vary by political affiliation uh, um, survey finds. A night night hypsis, I think it's hypsis, survey found that respondents differed by political affiliation on what constitute a a legitimate expression of free speech. While 9 in 10 Americans see freedom of speech as extremely or very important, they differ differ on what constitutes a legitimate expression of First Amendment rights. A report from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation finds that based on a Knight Ips, Ipsis, sorry, survey, 
that 4,366 U.S. adults, including 1,000 college students, the report Free Expression in America Post 2020, it's 41 pages, it's like a PDF, found that 91% of respondents said that freedom of speech was extremely important. 63% are very important, 28% to them, and while 91% of Republicans and 88% of Democrats and 84% of Independents said that citizens' free speech rights were extremely or very important to U.S. democracy, Democrats were more likely than Independents and Republicans to say that it was extremely or very important to prevent people from inciting others to violence. 86% versus 71% and 68% to prevent the spread of misinformation, 89% versus 73% and 63%, and to create an inclusive society that is welcoming to diverse groups, 85% versus 73% and 63%. According to the report, respondents were divided over what constitutes a legitimate expression of First Amendment rights, with Republicans more likely to say that taking part in protest against certifying the 2020 election results, 73% and entering the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021 to disrupt the election certification, 33% were legitimate than independents. 60% and 23%, and Democrats, 39% and 12%. There's a lot of numbers in here, and I don't know if you're like me, but I have to see it and read it for myself sort of thing. So I'm going to stop there because there's a lot of statistics within that, but you can find it at Philanthropy News Digest, Philanthropy News And it was published January 7th, and it's called Views on Freedom of Speech Vary by Political Officiation, Survey Finds. You could even type that into the internet to find it. I thought it was pretty interesting. Okay, the next one is from the ASCD Smart Brief. An Omicron variant prompts schools to change course. The latest coronavirus surge drives by the more contagious Omicron variant is appending teaching and learning in various schools. Emily Jones, an 8th grade English arts teacher in New York City, says she doesn't want to continue with her planned lessons because so many students are absent. The full story can be read on Education Week and was published January 6th. Okay, an educator debunks myths about inclusive education. James Mayer, assistant technology specialist and district tech support for the Tigard Tualatian School District in Oregon, addresses three common myths about inclusion education. In this commentary, Mayer writes that despite these myths, assistive technology is not only for students of special education and universal design for learning is not a passing fad. You can read all about this at K-12 Dive, and it was published January 6th. 
And, and in Utah, the Canyon School District reports workforce shortages affect school cafeterias. They say that which already is short 65 school nutritional special or professionals because of unfilled positions between five to 10 workers have been sick and unable to work each day this week. One school in the district is making accommodations because of the workforce shortage, including offering a reduced menu. The full story is that can be seen, uh, watched, I should say, at KSL-TV in Salt Lake City, Utah. Schools face shortages on substitute teachers. As some school districts switch to virtual instruction because of coronavirus infections, officials say those continuing in, ed in person are struggling to find substitute teachers. Higher teacher absences due to more contagious Omicron variant have some administrators filling in for teachers, including Brenda Kazilis, superintendent of schools in Boston, who filled in for a fifth grade teacher. The full story is at the Associated Press on January 6. And it, the California Department of Education wants to bring on as many as 10,000 more mental health professionals to schools by offering scholarships, loan forgiveness, and referrals, and speeding the licensing process. The proposal needs approval from or legislators. And this story can be found in the Los Angeles Times on January 5th. Maryland state lawmakers have approved an emergency regulation passed last month by the State Board of Education for relaxing the September 2021 mask-wearing requirements for public schools. At least one of three conditions based on vaccination transmission rates must be met to ease the mask-wearing. Maryland Matters reports the, reported this on January 5th. We're going to need to take another quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully-accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each, or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Hello, welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Pamela Clark. And uh, the next news story I have for you is from Ohio at Updates, state and local news updates. And Columbus NBC4 reports that parents hope expanded booster recommendations could keep students in school. Federal regulators are now recommending COVID-19 booster shots for Americans as young as 12. Some Central Ohio par parents hope that expanded eligibility will help keep their students in school. Wednesday evening, the CDC director endorsed a committee recommendation for ages 12 to 17 to receive the Pfizer booster shots. The brand is currently the only one of three options authorized for children under 18. 
The next story says Pleasant sixth grader wins congressional award for app challenge with cats versus dogs game. The Marion Star reports that like his fellow Pleasant Middle School sixth graders, Lane Johnson loves video games. However, unlike many other middle schoolers, this passion for video games inspired him to learn to code. Johnson's initiative combined with creativity and hours dedicated to learning the programming language Scratch led him to entering the 2021 Congressional App Challenge, an annual competition encouraging middle and high school age students to learn to code through creation of their own apps, showcasing the value of computer science and STEM education. And in Hillsboro, Highland County Press reports that in Green, Greenfield Schools, New Autism Team is a resource for students and parents. The Greenfield Exempted Village School District Administration has added another resource to not only benefit students, but staff too. It's called the Greenfield District Autism Team, an effort that is part of a pilot program through the state that also includes three other school districts, Clinton Massey, Georgetown, and Adams County, and Ohio Valley. The Greenfield School District is involved in the program so that administrators, teachers, and staff are better able to address the unique needs of all students in the districts. According to Heather Dratswa, Special Programs Director of the District and the leader of the autism team. with me a moment. I bring up the next one. Okay, there's um, something called, this is from National Youth Foundation, and it's, uh, quote, I Matter, there's a poetry and art competition, and oops, wait a minute, I'm trying to get the information for you. Can enter the 2022 competition, and let's see. Let me see if I, if I go to the site if it tells the deadlines. So you go to nationalyouthfoundation.org, and then um, the prize is a $500 book published. It says, um, oh, gosh, let me see when they sent this. Jeez. Um, this, <laughs> this was sent to us January 7th. And it was due January 7th. So I guess scratch that one. Okay, ASCD K-12 Leadership Smart Brief. A principal discusses approaches to discipline this year. Some school administrators are responding to increases in student behavior this year with more lenient discipline strategies. Reset 
centers in parentheses and increase social and emotional learning to help reduce suspensions and expulsions. Junior high school principal Crystal Thorpe says school closures cause students to miss out on crucial social, social experiences. And New Hampshire principal Stephen Patterson says his middle school addressed that with a two-week base camp to help reinforce expectations. The story was covered by NBC News on January the 3rd. And under the same smart brief, there's a section called Technology and Tools. And it says, why schools should outsource cybersecurity help. Outsourcing cybersecurity work can be a cost-effective way for schools to keep information safe and mitigate increasing K-12 ransomware attacks, writes Mike Chappelle, an IT analytics and operation professor. Schools seeking an on-site cybersecurity chief must compete with higher corporate salaries, notes Chappelle, who offers questions to ask when seeking a virtual alternative. You can find the story on EdTech, and it was published January the 6th. And a final $41 billion in relief funding for schools to be released. The U.S. Education Department has approved spending plans for all 50 states in Washington, D.C., paving the way to release the release of a final $41 billion portion of elementary and secondary school emergency relief aid under the American Rescue Plan. The fund dispersed $81 billion for schools in early 2021, and states and districts must obligate the funding by September 30th, 2024. The full story can be found on K-12 Dive and was published January the 5th. They also report that guidance would allow changes to school accountability. A new draft guidance from the U.S. Education Department would require districts to resume school accountability measures after a two-year pause because of the pandemic. However, the guidance would allow districts to temporarily change criteria for evaluating achievement and suggests that improvement plans focus on the most vulnerable students. The full story can be found on the 74 and was published January 4th. <clears throat> Another smart brief on special education uh, reports that practile interpreters to train at Oregon University. I'm sorry, protactile. Protactile, a touch-based language created by a community of people who are deaf and cannot see, has been growing and expanding since it started about 15 years ago, according to the article. Western Oregon University has received $2.1 million grant to train interpreters in the language that uses American Sign Language and originated in the Pacific Northwest region. The full story was picked up by Oregon Public Broadcasting on January 5th. Teacher PD program teaches science of reading. Dozens of elementary school educators in Ohio 
School District are conducting an intense professional development program that is an in-depth study of the science of reading, the language essentials for teachers and reading and spelling guides teaches or teachers in the brain science behind reading. This was reported by the Times Gazette and Hillsborough, Ohio on January 6th. Now I will say that um, Brain Gym is really important. I don't know if they're going to use that, but they're talking about brain science and that's pretty much the best program out there. And then if you want a really good spelling program, that would be um, booked by Catherine Stout and um, it's actually, we have a free course on our site and how you can purchase the book, but it's, um, oh gosh, I, I just forgot the name of it. But if you go to our recommended books page, you'll see it there. Um, and then there's a lot of other really good programs for teaching people to read, like Lawbach, that's L-A-U-B-A-C-H. And then... Um, it just depends. That's for adult students. But there's a lot of other things that New Heights advocates for as well along those lines that they're talking about. And it's going to be far better than what they're offering. A New Jersey lawsuit targets remote learning. Um, a New Jersey lawsuit alleges that schools switching to virtual learning are violating rights of students with disabilities. The suit, which names close to 20 school districts, as well as the staff itself, claims remote learning is detrimental to students with disabilities and it seeks to bar schools from closing, among other measures. The full story was covered by North Jersey Media Group in Woodland Park, New Jersey on January 6th. Gotta switch news stories, please hold. This is from Middle's Middle Web Smart Brief. Okay, strategies to address events of January 6th with students. On the first anniversary of January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., some teachers say they approach teaching about the events as if students know little about it because many are unaware while also creating a safe space, discuss the events, ensuring students know where to find factual information. Emma Humphreys of the nonprofit iCivic suggests teachers ask students what they know and whether they have questions about January 6th. The National Public Radio covered the story on January the 5th. Now let me ask a question. Maybe you'll have the answer. Um, what about all the burnings and all of the things done by Antifa and some other groups? Burning of entire cities. Shouldn't that be dissected as well? Switching to the next one. Please hold. Okay, so some Missouri schools go virtual during inclement weather. Some school districts in St. Louis, Missouri, are working to replace snow days with virtual learning, with a little under half having put their virtual plan into place. 
Deneen Stewart, Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction in the Wright and Hour School District, says it is hoped that by not taking snow days, schools can help bridge pandemic-related learning gaps and avoid having to extend the school year. Full story can be found at St. Louis Public Radio, which was published January the 7th. Okay, and then the Foundation Center, let's see. The Akron Zoo receives $1.5 million state gift for conservation. The gift will con fund construction on two habitats for critically endangered species as well as the Director of Conservation a newly created position solely dedicated to wildlife conservation. That was all from that report. <clears throat> More updates from Ohio Ed, um, state and local news. Marion Star reports that after paralysis recovery, Pleasant Elementary teacher Justin Willits returns to classroom. Standing confidently in front of his Pleasant Elementary fourth grade math class, Justin Willits shows no signs of the hardship and struggle that kept him away from teaching for months. After months spent fighting and recovering from a rare disease, Guillain-Barr syndrome, GBS, that causes the immune system to attack the body's nerves. Willett celebrated his return to teaching full-time Monday. Lunch program. Um, anyways, I might have already shared this. Um, maybe not. Uh, lunch program on Lake County evolved since its 2020 start. Willoughby News Herald. The free Kids Lunch Program in Lake County is looking forward to helping local children in 2022. The program started in March 2020 in response to school districts closing down due to the coronavirus. The concern was that the children who received free and reduced lunches would no longer receive food during the day. <coughs> the lunch program evolved and incorporated activities for children, including book giveaways, Activity sheets from Eastlake Women's Club and character appearances, holiday events, cookie decorating, contests, photo opportunities with Willowick Police and Fire Department and Heroes United. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Toledo Blade reports that job fair focuses on substitute positions. Sylvania City Schools are planning a job fair later this month, which actually would have been two days ago, January 19th, for their substitute positions. Um, it was scheduled from 3.30 to 6 in the administration building. Interviews will be held for substitute teachers, bus drivers, custodians, cafeteria staff, and paraprofessionals, the district said in the announcement on its website.
<clears throat> okay, so we're getting right through these today. Okay, so um, this was from ASCD Smart Brief. It says, educators pandemic worsening students' mental health. The coronavirus pandemic has worsened an already problematic rise in mental health challenges for K-12 students. <clears throat> educators and experts say, officials say that in some cases they are seeing spikes in aggression and violence in schools as a result. National Public Radio reported this on January 7th. And um, this is from Edutopia. It says, what is leveled success criteria? Michael McDowell, superintendent of Ross School District in California, suggests that educators use leveled success criteria to help set expectations for surface, deep, and transfer learning. In this article, McDowell helps to define each standard and share strategies to help students understand and reach each benchmark. Hmm. What do you think of that? Switching again. Okay. Let's see. Okay, and under e-learning, this is from the Chronicle of Higher Education. It says, proctoring software vulnerabilities raise concerns. Vulnerability in the digital proctoring software Proctorio is, a ra is raising a red flag about the security of the tool. Used by more than 2,000 colleges as well as other similar platforms, cybersecurity experts are testing proctoring programs and found them vulnerable to cyber attacks that would expose thousands of student data. Again, this is from the Chronicle of Higher Education, if you want to look it up. <clears throat> the USDA raises reimbursement rate for school lunches. The USDA on Friday announced $750 million in support for school nutrition programs nationwide in response to supply chain challenges and inflation. The USDA said that it would adjust reimbursement rates, sending an additional 25 cents per meal to schools. Whoop-a-dee-doo. Okay, so the CNN and, and AXIOS both reported on this story. The crime story that made Mona Lisa famous Leonardo da Vinci's painting of Lisa del Giocondo, otherwise known as Mona Lisa, gained its modern-day fame after being stolen in 1911 from Lavar, which, in response, posted flyers of the Mona Lisa throughout Paris. The theft built public intrigue when painter Pablo Picasso, among others, was named as a suspect and the public flocked to see the painting after it was recovered two years later. You can find the full story about this on Open Culture Blog, and it was posted January the 7th. Okay, this is from ASCD K-12 Leadership. 
Smart Brief. Texas school mill programs affected by supply chain woes. I think I might have reported on this a couple, uh, couple episodes ago. So school nutrition professionals in several Texas schools report shortages of certain menu items, such as chicken patties, as well as things like styrofoam trays because of ongoing supply chain challenges. Meanwhile, schools are reporting staffing shortages. KTRE-12, or TV, sorry, and Lufkin, Texas reported all on this. Well, my friends, that concludes another episode of Education in the News. I hope you have enjoyed it. I'll be publishing another one soon. And um, until next time. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.